Welcome back to another episode of Hot Off The Hip. This podcast exists to connect and inspire young professionals in West Michigan through shared stories and aspirations. Young professional is a term used to describe those in the first half of their career. This podcast's goal is to connect you more thoroughly to our vibrant young professional community through this show. I'm your host, Johannes Boot, Vice President of the Holland Zealand Young Professionals. Also with me is Simone Withers, this season's co-host. If you want to learn more about Simone, you can get a great picture of her work and mindset in the Season 2, Episode 1 interview. Thank you for taking some time today to listen in. Today, we have the privilege of welcoming Alexa Reddick to the show. Alexa is coming back for another episode, this time as a HIP Leadership Award winner. Check out Season 1, Episode 5 for further context and backstory to today's discussion. Alexa, thank you for coming back to the show and for being so instrumental in our community. You have a gift for seeing past the status quo and identifying areas for excellence. Our listenership will benefit from the stories you are about to share. In today's episode, we discuss the importance of nonprofit leadership, Alexa's multidisciplinary approach to life, a powerful poem, and some of the driving motivators behind one of this community's movers and shakers. Join me in listening as two phenomenal women, Alexa and Simone, begin the discussion with the Nonprofit Leadership Matters Award. We have a powerhouse on the pod, and I am so excited. (laughs) Welcome back to the podcast, Alexa. Thank you. Happy to be back. I want to congratulate you on winning the Holland Young Professionals Nonprofit Leadership Matters Award. For the listeners who don't know, the Nonprofit Leadership Matters Award recipient is a young professional leader who goes beyond their regular jobs in the nonprofit space. This individual is dedicated to volunteerism, coaching, nonprofit board leadership, and civic engagement, and is employed in the nonprofit sector. So, Alexa, let's revisit that awards night, December 2021. What was it like to win? I was quite honestly surprised. The new award was announced last, so I remember thinking, all these women are wonderful. I had no doubt that they would win something, and if not now, they'd win it in the future. And I just remember sitting here thinking, okay, what if I did get it? That would be really awesome. And I remember hearing my name called and was just kind of on the edge of my seat, so excited. And it was nice to feel that all the work I've done in the nonprofit sector, while obviously that's not why we do it, to have it recognized felt very validating. So I certainly felt very grateful to be surrounded by all these powerhouse women and to win as well. Yeah. That's true. This award didn't exist before, and they kind of snuck that on us, didn't they? They, yes, like, they totally did. surprised us. Um, splitting that award into Leadership Matters. Um, but I think that was such a smart move for them because we have such a huge nonprofit community in West Michigan and tons of industry. So it just makes sense to kind of separate that. There's like so much talent in both sectors and to really recognize each one for their uniqueness is such a cool thing. Absolutely. And I love that you were the very first person to win it. Well, thank you. <laughs> so since you were last on this podcast, you've accepted the role as Vice President of Communications at the ODC Network. VP under 30, that is a huge accomplishment. What has this transition been like for you? 
Well, first of all, thank you. I certainly did take the time to celebrate that huge accomplishment in my life. It's been, quite honestly, a whirlwind. I knew that taking that title meant more responsibility, but knowing that it's going to be more responsibility and experiencing the more responsibility are two very, very different things. I spend most of my days feeling like I am just trying to get a hold on everything I have to do. Mm. That being said, I have the most supportive team. Working for the ODC Network feels like I achieved my own personal goal of working for a nonprofit organization that just gets it and runs a very specific way that I admire. So knowing that I can combine all of my skills to really fully utilize and experience something different through this role feels awesome. And it's also the first time I've ever hired anyone for communications. They've mm. grown so dramatically, and they realize, wow, we really need someone to specialize in the marketing and reach new demographics and find new opportunities to raise money. And I thought, okay, well, this is such a great opportunity. I was looking for something new, and they were looking for someone with my skills. So it was just a very perfect little harmonious marriage. <laughs> I know. I love when stuff like that works out just Me perfectly. Too. So you mentioned that they were kind of running a model that you really like. Tell me more about how ODC Network is unique as a nonprofit. Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, they are not solely donation-based. Uh, they prioritize trying to create entrepreneurial spirit in each employee. So that's why, for example, we have over 50% revenue-based income streams. Mm -hmm. That is very unheard of for any 501c3. But that being said, if you're a donor and you're looking in the community for one, what am I going to invest in to improve the community? I mean, it's hard to ignore the ODC's mission, mm -hmm. which is to advance education and conservation in West Michigan. How could you not invest in sustainability? Mm -hmm. But on top of that, stretching your dollar to the fullest extent. If they can be secure enough to know that we are so entrepreneurial in our mindset that we can actually afford to basically run the business by ourselves, why wouldn't you want to donate to that? That that stretches your dollar to the fullest extent. So it's a very, very challenging yet validating opportunity to be there. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to some areas you've had to learn and grow as you fill out this new position? I've mainly had to grow in shockingly my organizational skills mm. I've always pretty intensely prided myself on my ability to stay super organized and kind of claim that you know I can multitask very easily but with everything I have going on in life with that job and school and volunteering that's a joke I really didn't have it all <laughs> under control so for the first time I kind of had to admit that weakness which has always been kind of prided as a strength so that was a huge learning and growing moment for me and now I have a a network of people around me who keep me accountable and keep me on pace. And that exists of coworkers, friends, mentors, you name it. I had to learn to understand different elements of how, honestly, a business functions. I There's no one in particular running communications or marketing for each individual division, and ODC Network has nine. So I have very clear plans, missions, different people I work with for different projects. Every day, no day looks the same. So it was for me trying to understand business synergies and understanding what's a good strategic management move and learning how to prioritize a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And also understanding that taking on this role meant that I couldn't be as involved in community work as I really wanted to be and still want to be. And that's been 
a tough adjustment for me. Mm. You know, I go to work, continue to work once I'm home, and then I do school and I go to bed and I repeat the process. So I do miss my philanthropic work a little bit. But there's a time and a place. This is the season. I'll move on to another season at some point. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to look at it. And we're going to talk more about uh, nonprofit work in a minute, but I did want to point out, so you mentioned school, and Mm -hmm. I know you're currently working on an MBA, right? Correct. I would think that um, working at the ODC and their kind of model for running business would be helpful and and overlap in a way. Would you Completely. It was actually the perfect transition organization Mm -hmm. for me. You know, 501c3s typically run a certain way. It's not a very innovative way of thinking. There's You raise money, you develop those emotional connections through development, you have the programming. It's it's structure-wise the same. Mm-hmm. But since ODC is kind of that, as I described, uh, harmonious picture between both business strategy and then the 501c3 structure, uh, I get to integrate a lot of my business ideas and business principles. And I find that very exciting that in real time, I get to learn the theory mm-hmm. and then apply it. It feels like the perfect opportunity to grow your mind, and uh, I can even bring it back to class, right? I can write papers on what I'm doing at the mm-hmm. ODC, so it's it's very cool. Yeah, I'm so happy for you. That's really cool. Thanks. So your previous episode did a great job of covering your professional history, and in that episode, you also talk about how West Michigan is one of the most philanthropic areas in the country. In this episode, I do want to dive right in and focus on the question, why is strong leadership in the nonprofit sector important to you? It's important to me because you did mention it earlier. The reason that we developed as HYP this new award is because we recognize how large the nonprofit sector is to this community in particular. And while industry is so large, more often than not, these two separate industries work collaboratively. Uh, Often someone's volunteering at a site, someone's going in to do a tour to learn more about what they do. There's different leadership programs all over. It's, to me, it's if you're going to always invest in professional development from a business strategic perspective, why wouldn't you do the same to bring up nonprofit leaders? There are also a lot of current nonprofit leadership that hasn't really changed much, including board of directors, executive directors. That's pretty much stayed the same for a long time. The turnover is in a lot of positions underneath, right? So in order to keep that momentum going, to learn from these people who have obviously done a fantastic job, but to also acknowledge that their mindset and where they came up is a different community than what we currently exist in now, that status quo has changed. How do we uplift leaders, and I would also argue it's a coaching, to ensure that these roles can be filled that both honor the past and yet are able to dedicate to community differently to uplift new people, Mm -hmm. to uplift new ideas and figure out a way that we can redefine expectations through our own lens. So it's simply about the idea without developing new leaders and without taking on new perspectives and integrating different lenses, what's going to be the future if the same people have held those same roles for years. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's just simply important to integrate professional development and take on new ideas. Absolutely. Yeah. And when I moved here, I was just so impressed with the sheer volume of nonprofits in the I area. Know. I mean, that just, I was like, wow, there's something special about this place that so many people 
are passionate about supporting the community and there's like the capacity to Mm -hmm. sustain all of these nonprofits, that's crazy. I think that being so unique in that way, like having this oversaturation could potentially be an opportunity for us to not only maintain that volume of giving, but also innovate in a Mm -hmm. way. Like how can we be a model community to the rest of our country and bring in that new talent, create systems for that and create systems that combat some of the gatekeeping that happens, whether it's intentional or not. Um, How do we open doors and bring more people to the table Mm -hmm. so that they feel like they are part of building the community? And you bring up a really good point, too. It's that when it's time to bring on new people or when it's time to uplift people and coach people, what type of person are you bringing to the table? Are you bringing someone who looks, acts, thinks, strategizes the same way that you do? Or do you acknowledge that this person has a completely different set of skills than what I'm used to? However, that uncomfortability I'm feeling is not that I don't have faith in that person. It's just that I'm not sure they're going to be doing it the same way that I've done it in the past. Mm -hmm. But that person needs to hold their ground in that situation when they're finally at the table to adapt when necessary and realize that you don't need to morph into everyone that's around you to make a difference, to prove to yourself that you deserve to be there. Mm -hmm. So it is the opportunity for leaders to be challenged and the opportunity for those of us on our way up to rise to that challenge. Yeah, and and like we said in our last episode with Johanna, great leaders create more leaders. 100%. Um, Take people with you along the way. Absolutely. Um, And I think it's also important to really acknowledge the fact that as organizations, we need to make sure we are creating environments where many people feel welcome and feel like they are set up for success too. Um, But I could imagine that, you know, looking at these areas of improvement or opportunity can be pretty easy to just like point them out. But how do you, how does one promote positive change within existing systems without raising too many red flags? We obviously are doing something right in this community with all of these wonderful nonprofits, but that still doesn't mean we can't figure out new ways and innovative ways to do things. How do we how do we propose that without people feeling threatened in a way? Sure. I used to definitely be a person who thought that in order to change things, it was totally necessary to scrap whatever we built and start completely over. Mm. I'm realizing that in communities like this that really pride themselves on tradition and really pride themselves on a certain level of community that is, quite honestly, difficult to enter if you did not establish a presence here, if you're a transplant, right? So keeping that in mind, how does that transplant adapt to the systems without tearing it down, right? My opinion would be you can still raise your voice, raise your opinions, speak against a status quo and not do it in a way that's so threatening that you're not invited to future opportunities. It's a clever sprinkling of your uniqueness in every conversation that each time that you prove someone wrong or prove someone right, they're inviting you back to the table and you can sprinkle on a little bit more. You can just continue to push a button because, frankly, that button worked in the past. For me, it's the understanding that incremental growth in the short term sets you up for exponential growth in the long term. So if you're willing to adjust to the systems in place in the short term, eventually you'll be enough rewarded for that, that you can grow in the ways that you want to rise the ladder enough to where you can actually enforce whatever you're 
vision is, whatever you'd like to work with, whatever table you'd like to sit at, and that's when the real, real change can take place. Mm -hmm. You've already proved yourself. You've already sprinkled out enough of your vision. Clearly it works. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, what has your experience uh, been like ushering organizations through change? It's not always easy. I can tell you that I've had to sit around a couple tables where I've been dismissed simply because I'm younger, simply because I'm a woman, simply because of the educational path I've taken, because I'm unmarried, not traditional. I don't, I'm not everyone's cup of tea, but I don't want to be. So I've simply had to make it my mission to find the right tables to sit at because we know it right away when we sit somewhere and we feel that our presence is valued. People are making eye contact with us. Their body language is faced towards us. They stop a meeting to ask what you think about something. I got to the point where I realized that this table was great. I got a lot of experience from that table, but now I know exactly what table I'm not going to join in the future. Mm. And it's been not always the most sane either. It's, it's hard to keep your mental health straight when you're dealing with all those dynamics at the same time. That being said, everything can be a learning experience if you let it. Mm -hmm. And I don't honestly look at those times where I didn't feel that my expertise or my opinion was valued as something negative because like I said, it's just something that I know that I'm not going to sit at that table again. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, when you're in it, like at the organization and you're working, you kind of have to... Um, take a moment to look at the situation from their point of view, mm -hmm. understanding that everyone has a different perspective. But it definitely is helpful when you are the type of person that has a pretty um, diverse background and you are able to be that multidisciplinary thinker and kind of lean on your different skills to understand other people's perspectives. Uh, and also understand that there's so many little pieces that work together to build a system and how do how do you help implement change in small but intentional ways mm -hmm. amongst all of those little systems that work together. Absolutely. So in your leadership award nomination form, you said, everything I do is guided by the principles of belonging, community, and developing relationships. How does this play out for you in our West Michigan community? In a few different ways. Mainly, if you want to also think about why I think it's important to be a multidisciplinary thinker, it's because I know the importance of, I want someone who thinks different from me in every single category of my life. I need to be growing and changing and learning and adapting or else I feel like I'm not moving forward. So serving and building community looks like creating and growing that network of support from all different aspects and corners of our community. I need to learn exactly what you're thinking, how you're thinking it, who, what, where, when, why, so then I can grow or I can say, similar to the table situation, it was nice to meet you, but we don't align in these ways. So, you know, you, you take it for what it was. If you're going to look at it from growing your network strategically to grow in leadership, to grow in your position, or to decide whatever your next career changing move might be, it's understanding how to be in the right room at the right time with the right people. I've even before gone to Facebook events and looked to see who's attending something because if I know I need to talk to that person, I'll go. That's what I used to do a lot when I was in the development world, but it's being very intentional about who you're following, why you're following them, and 
understanding all their tangential networks and how you fit into them too. So when it's time to call upon those people that I've worked really hard to build connections with and have made an effort to get to know them personally and vice versa, you can call on them Mm -hmm. for when you ever need their help to lift you up, to mentor you. I forget the exact uh, person who did say this, but it's the idea of you want the people around you who are going to lift you up behind your back and the ones who speak the truth to your face. Mm. Those are the ones that are going to make all the difference in your life. Oh, I want people like that in my life. I do have people like that in my life. I'm so grateful for that. And, you know, being really, really intentional about researching, maybe, I would say. Yeah, that's um, a good way to put it. Yeah, people, before you connect with them, I tend to find that they actually appreciate that you took the time to try to get to know them and figure out ways to connect with them. It lends to more meaningful connection and like deeper conversations too. And you you never know. You never know how that person will show up again in your life. Um, you, you never know the opportunities that might come up um, from that connection that you've made. And I think that's why building that community of support is so important too. Absolutely. And that's why follow through is really important too. Mm-hmm. Even if you can't show up, even if that assignment wasn't due on time, even if that directive wasn't completely followed, it's acknowledging it, taking accountability to prove yourself as someone trustworthy that they can count on. Yeah, yeah. It's a little thing, but I tend to subconsciously keep track of how long it takes for someone to just reach out after I've connected with them. I've done a lot of work in like recruiting and hiring and that's always something when I work with interns or new hires that I always try to coach them on Mm -hmm. in the future when you connect with people make sure you just follow up even if it's a brief thank you it doesn't have to be anything flowery or impressive just be like thanks for your time absolutely Um, and that's such a huge thing that follow-through and that follow-up is a big deal so as a hip award winner what advice or encouragement would you like to share with other young professionals in this area looking to shape the organization they're in and build community My main advice would be to go out of your way to get to know the people who have the ability and, quite honestly, the power to make the big decisions. It's on you to show them your worth. It's on you to prove to them why you're around any table in any conversation in a group of people. And to be a change agent, having access to those people makes all the difference. Once they value your opinion, it's interesting how everyone else shows up, too. In addition to that, my main advice would just be don't be afraid to be different. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there and realize that although it seems easy in a community like this to identify with others and try to morph your uniqueness into someone else's vision of what they want to see and what they're comfortable with, that's not what gets people intrigued by you. That's not what gets people excited about your ideas. Don't be like everyone else. That's a waste of your time. Yeah. I love that. That is such great advice. Okay, Alexa, you serve on many boards and committees uh, you have in the past. You've won a lot of awards, and honestly, you're killing the game as far as your career goes. Um, (laughs) It's true. It's true. Do people ever just stop you and, like, ask, how in the world you do all the things that you do? And in all honesty, how do you feel when you receive those types of questions? Well, of course people do. That's a lovely question that people (laughs) love to ask. And I would 
tell you that it feels differently depending on the context and the person that it's coming from. If it's someone that I'm looking to earn the respect from who genuinely wants to know how I'm doing it all because they're trying to learn or because they're impressed, how validating. Mm. Thank you for actually asking to figure out my systems and habits that produce this. If you're asking because you're wondering why I'm not somewhere else or why I'm not spending my time doing something more valuable, I might be a little on edge with Mm. that. And of course, all those questions come with a very particular tone. And I can tell if you're asking because you, like I said, you want to understand all that I do to get me where I'm at or you're judging. Mm. So it's very contextual, very person to person, but I would be also not being totally honest if I said I don't enjoy hearing that because I do know how hard I work and I do know the sacrifices I make every day to be where I'm at. It's not easy. So if you want to ask me that question, please just do it in the context of a compliment or else I'm really not interested in hearing it. (laughs) If I can be very blunt about that. Oh my gosh. I love it. Okay. You, I think you mentioned in your last episode that you are a fan of the Enneagram. How could you not be? (laughs) So for those listeners who are not as familiar, would you be willing to share what your type is and then explain what that means to you? Sure. So Enneagrams in general are personality describing characteristics, how you live your life, how you think, whether you're, I believe it's heart, head, and something triad. Gut. Gut. Thank you. So I am an Enneagram 3, wing 2. And Enneagram 3s are characterized as the overperforming achievers, typically. But to me, it's I take that on as a personal identity. You know, if you're going on Instagram and you see the memes, you deeply relate to everything that's being said, and you'll share it with other Enneagram 3s. And it's, it's a lot more fun. It's a community, actually, if you really look at what Enneagram is. But to me, it's, it's almost a label of validation for why I work as hard as I do or how I would describe myself even without the Enneagram 3 label. It would match up. Mm. I love working hard. I do have sometimes the negative trait of not taking the time to appreciate what I've achieved because I'm on to the next thing. And if I don't feel like I'm constantly earning challenging, learning, then I'm behind. And if I'm not ahead, then who's ever going to take me seriously? I'm unloved. I'm unwanted. And I don't always see those. I mean, it's not positive always. I shouldn't be always in that mindset of trying to be onto the next thing. I've had to learn how to balance living in the moment with looking forward to the future because it's funny how quickly I find that my time has passed and I wasn't paying attention. Mm. Like I'm 27 and that blows my mind. I feel like I used to live in Chicago. I feel like I'm still living in Chicago at times. That was just last year when that was five years ago. It's, I need to be more present. And that's a very Enneagram three thing, (laughs) but I also have to be healthy and lean more towards where I go when I'm at my healthiest Mm -hmm. in the Enneagram. Absolutely. I like the Enneagram because one, it helps you build empathy for, for others yes. um, and where they're coming from and what their perspectives are. But also, it's a really good reminder to be like, look, this is how you are when you're on autopilot. You know, when you're not really thinking, this is this is how you view the world. Understand that and, and pull yourself out of it sometimes when you're amidst the situation and be like, you know what? How can I 
view this in a different way. If you don't know who you are or what, what you're starting with, what your benchmark is, then how can you improve or adjust your mindset if something's draw, pulling you back? That's a really good point, too, because, you know, how often have we taken personality tests in the corporate world or in the nonprofit space? It doesn't matter. You know, your boss gets an idea. They want to change something and you'll take these tests and nothing. One happens usually from them, mm. unfortunately. But then they also sometimes do a really good job of making you feel bad. They describe your traits <laughs> in a very negative That's way. True. Like if, uh, for example, I'm a super high D on the disc. Mm. And if you're a C, you're almost ingrained to believe that one's worse than the other or these or that you don't get along possibly get along it's like i have seen friends what are you talking about and actually we're great compliments if you know how to communicate enneagram describes a holistic person's personality very very well mm-hmm. and not in a way that feels negative so i i enjoy learning about the enneagram because all those things that encompass your personality don't have to be talked about in a way that makes you feel better is unproductive but yeah it's a good thing to understand that emotional sense of everyone mm-hmm. Learn about the Enneagrams if you haven't. Yeah, I love it. And it really it really highlights, you know, what motivates people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what that's the part that helps you build empathy for, for others. Many people can display the same behavior, but what's the motivation behind that? I think that helps you kind of look past the shallow parts of it and, mm-hmm. and look a little bit deeper. I am also an Enneagram 3. I am a wing 4, though. So look into the Enneagram. You'll kind of understand what we're talking about here. Fours are a little bit different because... Um, it's more artistic, right? Yeah, they tend to be pretty artsy, but definitely uh, concerned about authenticity. Mm. And I think there's a little distance there sometimes with threes and fours in that way, um, just how threes approach things versus fours. But I would agree with that, yeah. But as a whole, I really loved learning about the Enneagram, and when I read the description about a three, I was like, oh! I just felt such a yeah. I just felt such a connection. I'm like I feel seen. I do. I do feel seen, and um, I I just feel so much better because I've always felt like I was always going, 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 going. And some people would view that as a bad thing, Mm -hmm. or especially as I'm younger, developing and maturing, I would I would question that and be like, is this okay? Is this not okay? Does this align with trends like self care or not? But is it okay to hustle? I think it's really interesting as a woman being in leadership roles and being more outspoken and confident in what you're doing and having a plan and being driven and intentional about your career. I wonder, do you ever kind of feel like you get pushed back on like that kind of mindset of wanting to constantly improve and hustle? I'm glad that you asked me that question because I was going to respond with um, kind of everything you just said with how I felt about that hustle culture and what that means. And It's interesting. There are certain spaces where I feel super valued for it, and there are others that make me feel guilty for it. Mm. And how I can describe it is there's a reason I kind of went the MBA route. I felt always that if I were to talk about how much I love work or I value staying late or I know that if I'm going to get noticed mostly because I'm younger, mostly because I'm a woman – there are certain things that you can do in the way that our society is structured to get noticed. That is, unfortunately, whether you disagree with that or not, is the reality of the situation. So I'm playing the game, and some people in certain spaces didn't always value that. Mm. And quite honestly, you know, made, made it clear that they did not value it. And also very ironically, and I think that's more just me feeling self-conscious in certain spaces, but like let's say there was a chamber event, and I would go representing different nonprofits. 
I still didn't feel that I was yet valued enough by people from the corporate world to be taken seriously. Mm. And so I felt this very interesting identity crisis for quite a while of trying to feel, I don't know, I guess the way I would describe it is like, how can I feel most at home? I don't feel at home. I feel I'm in this weird space of trying to find it. So what getting the MBA did while I'm still working in the nonprofit sector is it made me feel rewarded for how hard I want to work. But yet knowing that if, if you do business correctly, you're doing it through a lens of empathy and you can do it in an ethical and moral way that doesn't harm society, mm-hmm. doesn't destroy systems. There's, there are ways to give people a voice if you utilize all the skills you actually learn through an MBA. That's the number one thing actually derailing because we're going to talk about it real quick. You hear about all these destructions from a capitalistic society that don't give people the voice they deserve. They wreck any counter-narrative that attempts to overthrow status quo. Like, it's a very domineering idea to try to stay on top and be competitive. But what's funny is the more that I'm in this degree, it makes me so self-aware that these are just principles and theories that can be utilized for good if you want them to be. The idea of a moral capitalism exists. Mm -hmm. People choose not to do the hard work to be accountable to their people, to other people, to broader communities to do it. Mm -hmm. So... I, this is finally a home for me because I know I can be valued for the hustle, but I'm doing that hustle because I want to see the world look differently. Yeah. It's big. It's huge. And you got to find the spaces where that hustle and that empathy can be equally valued. That's big. Oh, my goodness. That is so exciting. I'm, I'm like, thrilled for you. <laughs> thank, no, thank you. But it's a, it's a very validating thing yeah. for me. So. Yeah. So prior to recording, we asked you for a phrase or a proverb, something that has shaped your life. And you shared a poem by the incredible Maya Angelou, Phenomenal Woman is the poem. Would you be willing to share a section of that poem with our listeners? I would love it. As Simone just said, for those that don't know, Maya Angelou is a queen. And (laughs) you should read all of her poetry. I'll give a little overview of the entire poem, but it's essentially describing a woman who is very proud of herself and who allows herself to be who she is and acknowledges how people react around her in a positive way and doesn't let that make her have an ego or make her feel like she's no less of a person because of how someone else views her. She's just who she is. So you can understand this best through the last verse. Now you understand just why my head's not bowed. I don't shout or jump about or have to talk real loud. When you see me passing, it ought to make you proud. I say it's in the click of my heels, the bend of my hair, the palm of my hand, the need of my care, because I'm a woman phenomenally, phenomenal woman. That's me. I love it. It's so empowering. It's the best. Gives me chills. And honestly, getting to know you more, it makes so much sense. And I I love asking people that question um, because it really gives you an insight to who they are. Do you view this poem as encouragement to keep going or do you feel like it's something that just embodies who you always were I wasn't always this way I used to have really really poor Mm self-esteem and not value who I was or I preach this now because I finally found myself Mm. and I'm so confident in who I am as a person as a woman specifically in that power that we wield as women and it's a reminder to me to continue to live authentically as myself And it's also a motivator for anyone who doubts that who they are isn't enough. Mm. So it's a mixture of a reminder and the 
empowerment to keep going. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's such great encouragement for me personally. I'm going to be uh, screaming that poem from the rooftops now. <laughs> um, but also for our <laughs> I love it. Uh, and we'll make sure to link that poem in the show notes so that you guys can read that full, um, that full poem by Maya Angelou. Alexa, I want to thank you so much for returning to the podcast and dropping all of this wisdom and motivation. I am in awe. You truly are a phenomenal woman. Thank you. If there are one or two things you want to share with our listeners, two key things that you want them to take away from this episode, what would they be? A term that has become really normalized in our culture is that idea of imposter syndrome. It's not even just idea. People really deeply feel that, that they aren't enough for the spaces around them. They don't deserve to be in the roles that they're in. I think that has a lot more to do with other people trying to make you feel like you don't deserve to be there. I don't think that's an internal feeling. I think it's you psyching yourself out. So my perspective would be you've done the work to be there. Stop doubting yourself. Take those leadership roles because you worked hard to get them. I do believe that opportunities don't present themselves unless you're ready for them. Mm -hmm. I do firmly believe that. So take advantage of it. Sit in that seat and do exactly the reasons that you were meant to be there. But in addition to that, if you are acting like everyone else, you are doing it wrong, period. (laughs) It's about learning the people and understanding the systems, but utilizing them when you need them, getting rid of what you don't like, and creating difference in your vision with a great community surrounding you to help you. Thank you. Do you have any recommendations on where people can participate or plug into the community? To me, any organization that understands the importance of valuing all our different nonprofits is the most important. And so I do give a heavy push to the Lakeshore Nonprofit Alliance. They have so many opportunities to plug into our community in the nonprofit sector. They give you great resources if you are in the nonprofit sector and you're struggling with any area you might need help with. And it's also a great community of people. The, like you did mention, we both mentioned the nonprofit community is so strong here and quite honestly, the greatest people. So if you ever need a connection or you want to start working in that space, I mean, you couldn't ask for a better crew. Awesome. Thank you. And we will make sure to link those into the show notes as well. If listeners would like to connect with you, what would be the best way to do so? Well, my LinkedIn is probably the best place because I'm trying to grow those connections. Of course. (laughs) I'm not surprised. (laughs) So please add me on LinkedIn. I would love it. Let's have coffee. Let's have tea. Let's talk about how we can change the world. Oh my goodness. Thank you for making yourself available to our listeners in that way. Well, thank you again. It was so great to get to know you and I'm, I am pumped. Let's get coffee sometime soon. Let's do it. Wow. What a great episode. The combination of achievement, encouragement, and candor displayed here energized me and I hope it has done the same for you. I'm constantly inspired by the incredible talent and leadership that we have in this area. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Hot Off the Hip. Make sure to check out the events page at www.bhip.org for the current offerings of community and development events created by the Holland Zealand Young Professionals. Also take a moment to look through the show notes, connect with our guests, or leave a voice message with your thoughts on this episode. Today's show was a blast to put together, and I look forward to doing this again on the next episode of Hot Off the Hip.